going back to the single lens, the pink lens, we could be prejudiced to pink color because that's the lens that we have over our eyes. Mm -hmm. So we see everything more pinkish. So somebody will argue, it's white. No, it's not. It's definitely pink. And you know, technically the person who doesn't have the lens would say, no, it truly is white. And technically the guy with rose colored glasses sees it as pink. Mm -hmm. And the argument just continues because it's a perspective thing. Right? Sure. So the answer is either to take the glasses off or here, try it with these glasses. And then you begin to see their perspective. Welcome to the Avincan Leather Podcast. I'm your host, Vili Klesmanchenko. And I'm your host, Mark Shlohovsky. And join us here, joining us here today, we have Mr. George Davidjuk, our special guest who is visiting our church in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania over the weekend to speak uh, at a conference that our church is doing on the topic of uniting generations. So George, if you would like to tell us a little bit about yourself for the listeners. People are confused if I'm uh, Ukrainian, if I'm American. Uh, actually, my parents came to the United States in 1950 after World War II through Germany. Mm. And I was born in 1954, so that makes me 66. So I'm OG for <laughs> you guys, if you realize that. But I love young people. Mm -hmm. um, I married a Ukrainian from Canada, and she's from a farm in Alberta. Uh, her name is Esty. Uh, God gave us two sons and a daughter. Beautiful. And our oldest son is a surgeon working in Orlando, Florida. Uh, our second son is in the U.S. Air Force. He's a captain, soon to be a major. He has a doctorate also, earned doctorate in psychology. And he treats PTSD, uh, suicide prevention, alcohol abuse, and the wounds and hurts of soldiers mentally as they come back from war. Mm. And my daughter was a school teacher, and now she's an active mother. So my three children who are grown and married with great, great, great um, spouses, we have eight grandchildren in total. Love. So far. So Lovely. We live in uh, um, uh, Ozark, Missouri by Springfield. And we lived in New Jersey where I was born. And I brought my wife from Canada to New Jersey. Then we lived 20 years in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And now we live uh, in Missouri for the last five years. Love. My parents spoke Ukrainian at home. And then I learned English in school. And so I'm bilingual. I picked up Spanish in high school because a, 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 a great number of Ukrainians came to our church from Argentina, Paraguay, and then some from Brazil. So I, I learned how to understand Portuguese. So our church in Union, New Jersey, when I was pastor for 10 years, was very multicultural. Mm. That's awesome. Lovely. Yeah. It's a really polyglot experience. Wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. Do you still speak uh, all the different languages? Do I do. Yeah. I do. I've been to the former Soviet countries. Over 110, after 110, I stopped counting. Wow. The first time was 1973. I was a 19-year-old, a teenager. No way. We stayed seven weeks and a day, 50 days, wow. visited 15 cities. It was a Soviet Union. It was communism. It was propaganda. It was persecution of the church. We went to register churches as tourists, and we were allowed to do that. But I met young people my age who couldn't speak any English. So my Ukrainian got better quickly. <laughs> wow. I mixed in so many English words. I thought, okay, what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say truck. I didn't know what. Ah, Ruzovik. Okay, I got it. <laughs> uh, it changed my life because when I was born in a Ukrainian church where my dad was pastor, uh, Assembly of God Church, Ukrainian Assemblies of God in, in New Jersey, 
I always thought, well, Ukrainians for older people, and I'm born here, I'm going to be an American, I'm going to serve Americans. Well, God turned it all around, and my assignment from heaven, I believe we're all given an assignment, if you want to call it that way. Some people call it a call. Yeah, it's a call, but it sounds too spooky. <laughs> God is very practical, and he gives us all assignments. And my homework, my assignment was to serve the Slavic community. Mm. And I've done that over 50 years. So we're celebrating our 50th anniversary of recording music in Ukraine. Yeah. Our our 27th album is coming out, CD. 27th yeah. album, amazing. Yeah. Over 50 years. And wow. with the same original member, Paul Hanyevich and myself, then we added people over the years. Mm. So God is still, I, I'm having some of the most fruitful ministry in my entire life right now at age 66. Impressive. Yeah, I, I go to more youth conferences. My favorite is actually do junior high, 11 to 14. If you can grab that generation that's going from childhood to preteen and you could get them on fire for God, they remain Christians in high school and college. Because wow. you, you form their hearts as a, a young boy, a young girl getting into that really difficult age. And they're so honest. If you're boring, they're like looking at the ceiling. They don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you capture their hearts, they're all in. Mm. They're all in. Uh, I love young people. I really, really young. I don't think, uh, I don't try to act young because that's kind of silly right away. It's like fake. Mm-hmm. But be yourself and they'll accept you on that level. Of course. If you understand where they're at. And that's what I love to do. For sure. Amazing. Well, thank you for that uh, brief introduction. Um, uh, with that, we'd like to start off actually with a personal question coming from the podcast. Uh, so as our special guest, you may or may not know that the podcast was started from the idea uh, or around the idea of journaling, uh, of ink and leather. As you could see, we both carry leather journals or uh, have a tendency to write in leather journals. And that's how the podcast got its name. Our question is, do you yourself journal? And what do you think of the practice? I'm going to challenge you. Mm. You're going to, you're supposed to challenge me, but I'm going to challenge you. Journaling is really great. Mm-hmm. It records your thoughts. But when I was in Bible school and God called me to a Bible school called Youth of the Mission, this was in 1975. It was Lausanne, Switzerland. And this is the answer to your question, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I have to go a long way to get there. Yeah, My life was accelerate. I always loved the Lord. We were on uh, mission trips for five years since 1970 to 75. And on a mission trip, we saw Lauren Cunningham and he became a big influence in my life. He started Youth of the Mission. He's a great man of God. And I heard different Bible teachers speak one week each. And one of the teachers was called Campbell McAlpine. And he spoke about Bible meditation. And so I thought meditation, you know, these Weird people sit with their legs crossed in circles and meditate, you know, and it's like an Eastern thing. Yeah, that's the name of a God, by the way. Don't repeat that. O-M is a name of a deity, a demonic deity, and they want to open themselves up to that deity. But everything satanic is a counterfeit of what is godly. If you read Psalm 1, David wrote 150 Psalms or more (laughs) that we know of, by meditating on God's word. So what is meditation? And this is the answer to journaling. And that's what I'm gonna challenge you with. Mm. This teacher, Camel McAlpine, he spoke of how his life changed when he asked an old farmer 
would bring an uneducated, no Bible school farmer, he would bring riches out of the Word of God. He would open up the scriptures. And he went and he asked him, he says, what is your secret that you have such clear and, and, and practical insights of the Word of God? He says, I practice Bible meditation. What's that? He says, well, Bible meditation is not reading the Word of God. That's for information. It's not studying the Word of God. That's for teaching and doctrine. But Bible meditation is where you take one verse or two in the context of seven, ten, eight verses. The context is found in and you ruminate, which is another word for chewing slowly. And as you you ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the, the inner teaching of, of the Word of God. See, the Word of God uses simple words with very deep concepts. Jesus used words like water, salt, right? Uh, wine, but yet light. But the concepts were so deep. So Bible meditation is what you think about what the scripture is saying to you. Now the Bible is the logos, which means the word for everybody. But when you read the word of God, there's only one interpretation, that's the context. But there's many applications. Mm -hmm. So I know this is a complicated answer, <laughs> but I'm getting to the point that when you meditate on the scripture, God who breathed by the Holy Spirit to men to record these words, he will un unlock the meaning of those words to your personal life. So I began to keep a meditation journal. First, I started half an hour, and I wrote what God would say to me through that verse. Then it became one hour. I continued my education, then I was called into the ministry in California at a Bible school now defunct called Genesis. And they had Campbell McAlpine go there, and I heard it again for the second time. And they made it mandatory for all their students to meditate on Scripture four days a week, one hour a day. So I, when I finished two years of Bible school in California, I had 160 hours of Bible meditation. And God would take the Word of God and He would open it up, and it became the way that today I get insights into the Word of God and it taught me how to preach, and it taught me how to bring a word out that's fresh for the now, for the rhema. Logos is general, all time for everybody. Mm -hmm. But what's the now word for you? I'll give you a simple example that we can move on. I was in Bible school, and I promised to give a faith promise to missions. Remember, I'm a student, so I lived on $10 a month after paying the tuition and food and board. Mm -hmm. So somebody, one lady gave me something like $50, $60 at a church I spoke at. I thought, I could go home, I could drive my friend gasoline. And I remembered I made a promise of $50 a month to missions. And so I read that day in my uh, meditation journal, the verse where Jesus said to Philip, Philip, where, where are we gonna get enough bread to feed all these 5,000 men? And he said, you know, was it, how many denarii, right? It will be not enough. But Jesus said to him, testing him, knowing what he would do. And I wrote in my journal, I wrote in my meditation notebook, God is testing me. I don't know what he's going to do, but I'm going to trust him and I'm going to obey him. And I didn't, I said to my friend Dwight, I said, sorry, I can't drive across from California to New Jersey, 3,000 miles. I, I need to give that money to missions. And I gave it away. 
That Friday night, the next day, I went to a youth service where I was serving in San Mateo Church. And I taught the lesson. And after the lesson, the young people said, George, we bought you an airplane ticket for $450 so you could fly home to Christmas and see your dad. See, God knew ahead of time what he was going to do. But in my Bible meditation, he told me, just trust me. But I didn't know what would be the result of that. All of that to say, guys, I challenge you mm-hmm. to write down the scripture, but don't may- meditate on 15 verses. Don't meditate on five verses. There's going to be one verse that's going to stick out and speak to you from that passage. So write down, not what it says, not what it teaches, but what does that verse say to you to do? And you will get you will get illumination. By the way, do you know what the word revelation means? Apocalypsis. It means to take the cover off. Mm-hmm. So when your mom made borscht, right? You come in the house, you smell it. <laughs> but there's a there's a lid on the on the pot. Mom, what are you making? No, don't touch it. It's for supper. Mm. You go to the stove and you take the lid and you see the borscht just you know simmering and mm-hmm. the flavors and smell. You know understanding God's word and keeping a journal is great but when you meditate on the word of God and then write down that's the next step after journaling mm-hmm. so I hope I changed your, your whole ministry no 100% but I wouldn't you it. agree that it's like a vital aspect of growth because then you can write down these how do you know where you are if you don't see where you've been exactly it's a it's a highway marker 100% you ever go on the highway and you're going wait a minute am I on uh uh, five north or five south, and you're exactly. like freaked mm-hmm. out until you see the sign five north. Oh, okay, I'm good. Okay. We've discussed this in an earlier uh, t- uh, earlier episode, actually talking about journaling and how it changed over time for the both of us. Um, and I love that you're hitting on this topic of writing down scripture, and that's what it's become more for me over the course of six or seven journals. Uh, majority of them are now filled with scripture, and that's how. I dive in and remember um, what the Lord is speaking to me. And I'm sure the same you could say. By the way, that 160 hours uh, is a real thick notebook. It became my sermon messages for the next 10 years in my church when I was pastoring. Mm. Because I preached all original, 99% all original sermons. Mm. I didn't copy from people. Mm. I preached what God had taught me. And it was rich. And to this day, I... I was just reading the Bible the other day and these verses jumped out at me. And I start, I got a whole seven point message in like 10 minutes. Hmm. Because once you become skilled at, at listening to God, God wants to tell you more, but it is a skill. You have to learn it and you have to practice it. Amazing. 100%. Thank you for answering that question for us. I yeah. did take a long way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It, it's all relevant and uh I wanted to give you context. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Well, with that, let's uh, dive straight into today's topic. Um, So since you are here uh, for the weekend discussing the topic of uniting generations at the conference, uh, we thought it would be appropriate to dive a little bit deeper into this uh, topic during our discussion. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you obviously see the older generation versus the younger generation. I am the older generation. Yeah. No, that's and, a, and, that's a and you are the younger two generation. Two people. Yeah. Two generations at one table. You yeah. got Still it. trying to find common ground. Yes. 
and you know you see yes. older generation crying for disrespect while the younger generation saying hey you don't understand like us and our needs okay um so what is question what is question <laughs> so you've seen a lot you've seen a lot in your years and obviously we're just trying to get down to the bottom how do we approach such hot topics such as music clothing dissection of the word um and let me even, answer that let me answer that sure instead of approach why don't you use the word view because that'll go right into my answer sure so when you view something it's the way you see it that day that time in history you see something so let's say you have a white whiteboard in front of you but when i was in school we had blackboards but now you have whiteboards okay so what's the true color of that whiteboard white obviously what if i were to put rose colored sunglasses on a pink color like a hippie color mm -hmm. what would the white board appear to me to be pink obviously so that's called perspective mm -hmm. the lens that you see colors your perspective right sure. and i want to just say flat out at the beginning we all see with different lenses hmm. we all have a color that we prefer we all have a culture that we're used to. And so um, going back to the single lens, the pink lens, we could be prejudiced to pink color because that's the lens that we have over our eyes. Mm -hmm. So we see everything more pinkish. So somebody will argue it's white. No, it's not. It's definitely pink. And you know, technically the person who doesn't have the lens would say, no, it truly is white. And technically the guy with rose colored glasses sees it as pink mm -hmm. and the argument just continues because it's a perspective thing. Right? Sure. So the answer is either to take the glasses off or here, try it with these glasses. And then you begin to see their perspective. Going back to old people. So where are they coming from? 100%. And for any kind of understanding, you have to go back with them through their perspective and l understand how they lived, where they came from, their experiences. And let me go further. And this will answer a lot of the questions you're already preparing to ask me as specific questions. Do you think we just look through life through one lens, our lens? We actually don't. So not only is there so let's not use glasses. Let's use one lens that we poke out of the glasses. So now we have a pink circle, right? A pink circle. Well, there's different color lenses and there's different kinds of lenses. Let me, let me explain. So we were talking about scripture. Now scripture is a lens that helps us to see what God sees. And some of scripture is diametrically opposed to our human reaction. Someone offends you. So our human reaction is offend them back. But Jesus says, no, I wanna give you a new commandment to forgive. They ask you to go a mile, go two. They ask you for a shirt, give your coat also. And you're shaking your head, no, that's not what I would do. But see, that's Jesus's lens. And when you look through the lens of scripture, you have a different perspective. Someone said, what is wisdom? Well, it's how to use knowledge, correct. Many de good definitions of wisdom, but my favorite is this one. Wisdom 
is to view life or see life as God sees it with the perspective of eternity. What will that mean in eternity? <laughs> All of a sudden our values change, right? How does God view that exact specific subject? Is it that important that we think it is? So in the light of scripture, however, we have to admit, do we see everything in our life through scripture? We don't. Mm. So in addition to the lens of scripture, there's the lens of family. And when you're born into a family, whether it's two children or 12 children, the amount is not important, but every family is different. You would agree. Yes. So some families are more strict. Some families are more permissive. And people say, what's the right way to be? Well, my personal view on that mm. is you can be as strict as you need to be as long as in addition to the strictness, your child understands you love very hard. You love very deeply. Somehow a child will accept strict rules if they have the cushion of warm, affectionate, continual love, which is godly love, not that, ah, Nikai, boost, mm -hmm. let him do whatever he wants. No, that's not love, that's permissiveness. So my dad, you know, in my family, he was a pastor, but he led our family with scriptural principles. And I never felt he was strict, but he was very conservative. And yet I didn't feel the conservative part of that. I, I loved the warmth of my dad. My dad was kind, he was loving, but he wasn't permissive. So we had some good rules. Now here's the other thing. We didn't have a lot of rules, but we had important rules. And every family, I think they look for the balance of their family. So you have one family and you have another family. Were your families identical? Probably not. Maybe your mom was more strict. Your dad was more lenient. Maybe your dad was more strict. Your mom was more lenient. Mm -hmm. So we have the lens of family. By the way, your birth order has a lot to do with how you, like the firstborn son, you know, they follow, they're rule followers. But the last one, forget it. They do whatever they want. And the parents, you know, they're really tough on the firstborn. The firstborn has to do everything. Mm -hmm. And the, la the baby, ah, you know, nah, let him do it. I've heard the perspective that uh, in a family with uh, more than one child, each child grows up with different parents. Yes. And, and, and that's true to a degree. It's a, it's a truth of degrees, mm -hmm. right? They're the same parents, but they kind of get off the brakes a little bit as each child is born. Because on the first one, they don't know what to do, yeah. so they overdo it. And then the last child, they say, well, I've done this so many times, they're gonna turn out well, mm -hmm. and they, then they become more permissive, right? So you have the lens of scripture, and you have the lens of family, but they overlap to a degree. So that's already a combination, right? So red and blue make what? Violet, where they overlap. But wait, wait, there's a third lens, and that's called culture. Hmm. But there's two kinds of cultures. Actually, there's more, but let's just talk about two. There's the culture of the country in which you live. Then there's the culture of the state in the country where you live, north or south or west coast, right? Farm or city, right? And so the school you go to, public school, private school, Christian school, 
charter school, mm-hmm. home school. So now, like I was born in New Jersey. New Jersey is so secular. We had a lot of Jewish people who didn't practice their religion. We had atheists. We had, I was 18 miles from New York City. I worked in New York City. That's Babylon. I mean, that is hell. <laughs> I mean, New Yorkers, you know, they are really secular. They are super secular. Anything that ever came from the West Coast, it went to New York City first. And so I grew up in a very black and white uh, lens. Like, the world was like whoosh, New York City. Mm. And so, and I went to public schools all my life. And so I saw the culture of the town in which I lived, the, the urban area of cosmopolitan pride and wealth. And wow. And it actually pushed me closer to my Christian values because mm-hmm. I saw real black and white. We're a kid somewhere on a farm in Arkansas, like, like oh no, you know what? I want to go to the city. I'm tired of this country life. I, I want to live. And they don't realize. Like a prodigal son probably is an example of that. Dad, I want out of the house. Yeah. But son, you don't know what's out there. <laughs> I want to try. Yeah, and at what price, right? Mm-hmm. So, lens of scripture, lens of family, then lens of culture and society. But wait, there's a lens of church. And now I want to ask you a question, and this is a rhetorical question. Does society affect the church? And the answer is yes. 100%. Indirectly, okay? Hmm. I, as an American teenager, right, 19 years old, went to the Soviet Union and saw persecuted, godly, born-again, spirit-filled, on-fire Christians. But I still saw Soviet influence on their life. Hmm. They were tough with each other. They were rough with each other. And I'm thinking, they love Jesus and they're so godly. Why are they so rough? And then it dawned on me, the the socialist system in which they were uh, raised was dog-eat-dog. Dog. Mm-hmm. Survival of, of who? The fittest. The fittest. It's a Pavlovian kind of a thing. It's a Darwinian view that, you know, the toughest dog gets to the top. So... In America, we were polite, we smiled, we waited, you know, even to board a bus. I laughed so hard when I would see people boarding tramvai, which is a trolley bus or a regular bus, because there's just no room. So people rush to the door. <laughs> I'll never forget. We're, we thought, oh, we'll take the next bus. So finally, one guy stands on the step of the back door holding onto the bars. He's done the last step, no room. And some very large, I won't say fat, but she's (laughs) well-fed, grabs the bars on an angle and starts pushing him in by banging him into the bus. We died laughing. I thought, you wouldn't see that in our culture. And that's not to put down the Ukrainian culture. Mm -hmm. No, that's the Soviet culture. So you, you see something like, oh, here's another example. So I open up their newspapers. You, know, you see political cartoons. So when we have political cartoons and it was the Cold War, our planes are white, their planes are black. Well, I pick up there. Our planes are black and their planes are white. And I thought, oh, my goodness. That's what they're telling their people. 
that they are the good guys and that United States of America is the main adversary. Hmm. It's perspective. Another thing in church culture. So I went as a teenager and I see guys on one side and ladies on the other side or vice versa. Guys on the left from the pulpit, the ladies on the right. I thought, man, is this a, some kind of quarantine? <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I never found that in scripture, but it became part of the culture. And I said, well, okay, this is how they do things and many other things, but I'm not gonna get into those things. So to, to, to wind up your, your question, we see through at least through your four lenses, scripture, family, uh, society lens, and then our church part of that and doctrine. You have Baptists, you have Pentecostals, you have Seventh-day Adventists, right, Subotniki. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so who's right or mm -hmm. who has the perfect doctrine or who knows the scriptures exactly and what is the right way to do things? And you know what? Uh, Paul sums it up in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, well, we see through a glass, a lens, darkly, mm. smoky. <laughs> and we see in part, and we know in part, but when the perfect comes, that's God and is coming, we will know fully, and we will know what he knows as he reveals that to us on mm -hmm. that day. But meanwhile, we have to cushion each other's perspectives with love yes and to understand the older people or to understand the younger generation you kind of have to try to put yourself in their place and imagine okay what would it be to be a young boy growing up in portland oregon today where there's 90 percent liberals and you're the only conservative mm -hmm. That's got to be hard. It's huge mm -hmm. in the development of a person, for sure. Huge, huge. So how has, you know, you're talking about lens of culture and lens of society with the church. You know, how has the lens of culture ultimately shaped your perspective on something like music? You know, you were talking about your music experience going from New Jersey to the, the whole. So let's talk about music itself sure, before sure. we talk about culture. Mm -hmm. And music corresponds to your body. That's how God created music. People don't know this. But there's three parts to music. There's melody, there is harmony, and there is rhythm. We have a spirit, we have a soul, where your mind, will, and emotions are, and we have a physical body that sees life through the five senses, eyes, ears, nose, right, taste, and touch. Mm -hmm. And we experience not separately, but as a whole. So our life, is through our spirit, soul, and body. And when we experience, whether it's music or another subject, we experience it with all our being. Now, music affects you. Would you agree with me? Of course, 100%. It'll affect you positively. It'll affect you negatively. Let me explain. Worship is when the melody rises higher and higher. I'm not talking volume. I'm talking about rising and falling of notes. And worship is intended to affect our spirits. Worship is different than praise. Praise goes much more to our emotions, our mm -hmm. feelings, happiness, or sadness. So now, let's go back to spirit. So violins and beauty, uh, the best songs, even secular songs, mm. are the ones that have great 
melodies. And when you have a great song, even written by someone who doesn't know God, something in his spirit is crying out to know this creator, although they don't realize it's a desire to know God. And they write a beautiful melody. John's Lennon's many imagine all the people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That melody is beautiful. But the lyrics are horrible. They're Terrible. atheistic. Yeah, of course. Imagine there is no heaven and there's no hell. People living in harmony. Are you? Come on, wake up, dude. Yeah. And he did, but it's not where he thought he'd wake up. <laughs> but let's not talk about John Lennon. But the best songs where the melody rises and takes your spirit higher and higher. Now, if the song is in a major key, it brings peace and happiness if the song is in a minor key which is a half diminished yep. it brings sadness now my favorite songs are in the minor key because my experiences have been with the people who suffered for their faith and I admired that mm. all of my dad's friends were in jail when my dad escaped one of my dad's best friends was captured he was a Bulgarian and they put handcuffs on him in Bulgaria. They told him he was an American spy when communism came. And the handcuffs had needles. And he stood in a bucket of water and, and water would drip on his head. Wow. And that's water torture. I mean, on Mythbusters, they did that and they freaked out. Mm -hmm. A drop of water mm -hmm. for hours at a time. And uh, Jesus appeared to him in a, in, a, in a jail cell. And he was supposed to die. So. When I see and hear stories of suffering, one of our most loved songs in Ukrainian was Hear Me, O God. When I recorded that song, I said, I can't sing this song. This song is suffering. I've not suffered. I'm born in a beautiful country. I have freedom. I have great parents. I go to a great church. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God. What have I suffered from? But the guy who wrote the song, he was facing the wind. He was going uphill. It was a struggle. He's giving up it's so hard. And I prayed a prayer in the recording studio in front of a microphone. Mm. I said, God, can you open my heart and my mind to see myself in that guy's shoes? And so as I song, sang the solo part of that song, Hear Me, O God, I saw myself as that guy and I started to cry. Mm. Now it's funny, recording, either tape or digital zeros and ones, mm -hmm. they actually can record laughter, smiles, and tears. Because it's a spiritual thing. And I don't know how that gets transferred into the digital or analog realm, but it does. And that song has a simple melody, and then we have the choir backing us up, right? And it was so powerful because it was the experience of the man who wrote the song, not the guy who sang the song, mm -hmm. obviously. Other people sang the song and it's flat. Mm -hmm. Same song, mm. same key, same music, it's copied everything, same thing. flat. Because a song has a spirit. Now the second part of a song corresponds to our soul. So that's where happy songs, we tap. So there's some songs I can't keep a tapping my foot. <laughs> I mean, I, that's me or tapping the table or my knee, it, it affects your soul. Now, the, the notes of the harmony of a song, they have to harmonize. 
And so in the beginning, all guitar music was consonant. And I'll explain what that means. They were not against. They were different, but in harmony. Da, 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 right? That's called a guitar chord or a keyboard chord. But then the Beatles, they put out a song called Revolution. And then they deliberately overdrove the analog waves, chopped the top, and distortion was the result of that through overdriving the input, analog input, instead of like, da na 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 So you want a revolution. Oh man, I think Ukraine is going to watch this tape. I'm So now instead of being consonant, the sound is dissonant. And so what does that make you feel inside? Unrest. Yeah, aggressive. It's aggression because it's against. Da, 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 da. Two notes that don't resolve. See, harmony is when you have what's against and then it resolves. So you can have dissonance for a brief moment, but you have to have resolution. Books are written that way where the hero is getting all beaten up and then finally he gets some kind of last strength and he wins the battle and the aggressiveness harmonizes and the hero wins the battle. Mm. David kills Goliath, right? Now, getting to rhythm. A song without rhythm is dead. A body that heart is not beating is dead. But if the rhythm overpowers the melody and overpowers the harmony, then it becomes sensual. Donna Sumner, back in the day when disco just came out, it was specifically timed that the bass drum beat would be 72 to 77 beats per minute, like your heartbeat. Hmm. I feel love, I feel love, I feel love, I feel The whole song was three words, and she repeated it like 45 times. Wow. But people didn't care. It's like, yeah, I feel so love. Catchy, yeah. It's catchy, and it made people turn on. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say what she did at the end of the song. What she did was very immoral. Mm -hmm. So what was the purpose of all three versions of the songs? So it's much more than, oh, I like this style and you like that style. Mm -hmm. No, no, the, the, the conversation goes deeper than that. The question should be, after listening to that song, what did it do to you? I mean, can you honestly without prejudice, analyze yourself. Some people can't. No, I love it. I love it. It feels good. It feels good. Mm. Well, then are you justifying or, or, and being dishonest? Because some of the heavy metal, I turn it on and my spirit is crushed within me. Mm. I can't see heavy metal in, in heaven. Can you? I mean, guys, thrashing? It's more than style. So let me give you the principles rather than the specific songs or the specific the guys that want to stand out, they do something that nobody's done before, and become known for that. Hmm. Those are the principles of music. It's still like such a difficult question though, because you know, talking about the upbringing of an individual and how that you know shapes their whole perspective. You know, the older generation, you know, grew up with hymns, and you know, some of these, you know, more, you know 
challenging songs where the younger generation is more focused on modern worship, you know, the lights, the fog machine. Like, where do we find common ground within all of this, with all these different perspectives? I don't think that you can convince a person from one culture to like your culture. I don't think it's possible. Hmm. I think you need to find middle ground. I think you need to find something that harmonizes. And I think that young people need to give in a little bit and old people need to give in a little bit, mm. okay? See, my music will not be my children's music, but as long as it's not anti-scriptural blatantly, excuse me, mm -hmm. I just have to say, well, I don't enjoy that genre as much and my kids like it more. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the new Nissan commercials, but Innovation. they have this like five, 10 second thing where the, the, the rhythm is doing one thing and the harmony and notes are totally off rhythm. Mm. And it bothers me. <laughs> Next time you hear the Nissan commercial, listen to the music, I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> now it's going to be bugging me too. <laughs> it's going to bug me. I'm like, get, get into the measure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Horrible. But again, you know, and then, and then come on, let's be, let's be honest. There's opinions too. There's opinions. Yeah. And, uh, everybody has an opinion, right? Everybody has an mm -hmm. opinion. For sure. I, I think that love is a cushion. You have two bones. You have a, you have a bone here and a bone here, but in the elbow, you have soft cartilage that causes the bones not to grind each other and it cushions. And I think that love goes a long way to cushion the different viewpoints, the different understandings about either music. And, and again, too, fog lamps are only to illuminate the lights. And the darkness is only so that the lights become more clear. But then old people say, you know, darkness is equal to satanic, sure, right? Yeah. There's a lot of connecting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So for them, it is. Mm -hmm. For them, it is. And even regards to, you know, the stage and seeing the fog machines and like, what about stage etiquette? You know, sometimes you see like a worship leader come on with like ripped jeans or like shorts sometimes. Transition. I do have an opinion on that. How does that challenge, you know, <laughs> like the reverence of coming into We are slaves of fashion. Admit it. We are slaves of fashion. For sure. Some people in New York City or Paris. Okay. What don't people have? Okay. They're dressy. Let's do sloppy and make it a fashion statement. Oh, uh, yeah. People have skinny ties. Let's make fat ties, wide ties. I've been, I've been through it. When I was a teenager, we wore, at the beginning, skinny jeans and pointed shoes. You could kill a cockroach in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> Fence climbers, we called them. Then it went, the Beatles came, and then bell bottoms came in. So now you have sailor pants, hip huggers, and then they flare out as much as you want on the bottom. But then you don't see the shoes, so they added platforms. So when I went to the Soviet Union, I had bell bottoms and platform shoes. Mm -hmm. And I'm already six foot two. I made me like <laughs> six foot four. What? And I was so skinny, man. And I was so skinny, my pajama, my pajama had one stripe. I was telling you, oh, it was bad. And here I had with bell bottoms and platform shoes. And that was my fashion statement. Then after that, you know, bell bottoms are like, ah, oh, so. So weird platform shoe. That's so weird. Mm. Then you know where a casual from Kurt Cobain and and uh, Seattle mm. grunge. 
So they went against the grain and they said, okay, we're going to be sloppy as a statement. And our music will be sloppy as to, to say no to your music. And then, uh, you know, some, some genius in fashion says, well, let's make rips and let's make it a fashion statement. My personal thought is this, that as when fashion doesn't offend, then it's, it's not a big issue. But would you go to a, meet a president, or regardless who the president is, in ripped jeans? You wouldn't do that. You'd wear a dress casual or dress. Would you go on a job interview with a t-shirt and flip-flops? Nope. You wouldn't do it because you want to present yourself the best. I think that the church of God, it should not go to two extremes. And I wrote a book, and in the book I wrote about this. Mm -hmm. I this is a chapter in the book that it shouldn't be a place to show off elegant clothing. Look at me, I have brand clothing. Mm -hmm. You see the uh, initials of Gucci or D&G or LV? That's showing off. Yeah. It's not necessary. Mm -hmm. That's the extreme of pride. But then you have the other extreme, oh, come as you are. And so they roll out of bed, don't comb their hair, <laughs> put their feet in flip flops because it's super comfortable. Shorts with strings hanging down, right? A t-shirt that who knows what it says. And they show up on Easter Sunday. So wait a minute. I realize that come as you are attracts people from the world, but actually, the world understands that, you know what, you gotta clean up a little bit. Cause you do that for weddings and you do that for job interviews and you do that for very, very important uh, interview or occasion, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And so why not come nicely dressed to church? Of course. So to me, the question is really moot. Going from your points, talking about this clothing uh, here, w now going further, um, coming to church for a Christian, we're talking about having a sort of reverence uh, when you come into the house of God. Now, when we take a look at scripture uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, 19 through 20, we see, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Um, my question is this, since I come to the church, that's where I dress up, uh, and that's it? Or do you think it goes even further? Now that we are a temple, and the holy place is, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, do you think that it shouldn't be just for the church, but it should go beyond? I think um, you quoted Corinthians, and I'll, I'll add to Corinthians, Romans. Mm -hmm. I think Romans 14, around there where Paul brings a principle of preferring someone else above your own uh, freedom. Yes. So a lot of the things that we believe and we do, we have a personal freedom for those things. Uh, moving away from clothing, and we'll get back to clothing, yes. okay? But what, what days we celebrate, what holidays, for example. Now, he didn't specifically name holidays, but there are people who celebrate Christmas on December 25th, and then others who say, oh, that's a pagan Roman holiday. We celebrate New Year's. Mm -hmm. Well, Paul says, you know what? Some people consider, and that's the word, 
these days are the better days of those days and others don't he says in love prefer one another then he goes to food and he talks about foods offered to idols to us that point is moot because we don't have food offered to idols but he uses the same principle he says don't do things that will offend other people well um i'll get back to the original question about clothing mm -hmm. but i have a wedding band yes. okay it's made of gold when we went to the Soviet Union, we went already older. I was already a pastor, but I was 32 years old, a young pastor of a large church. And I went with Paul and Tony, the guys I sing with, and they brought us into a gathering of pastors, about 150 pastors in a very conservative part of Ukraine. Mm -hmm. So then we preached and sang, and then they had questions and answers. Now I'm with another culture in the Soviet Union as a young man, right? Mm -hmm. With, with a question on a piece of paper, and what about the use of uh, wedding bands or gold, right? Mm -hmm. So the pastor who invited us, he gives me this little piece of paper with the question and he reads it. He says, okay. <laughs> so God gave me wisdom. We took our rings off before we went because we knew that they don't, their their mindset is not to accept any kind of gold jewelry because they interpreted it let your beauty not be of braiding mm. of hair and of gold right so they took that so literal no gold not even wedding bands mm -hmm. so i said i'm going to say this in english but i actually said it in ukrainian i said well let me answer your question i said look at our hands paul myself and tony do you see any gold jewelry no brother no no gold jewelry <laughs> But then I continued. I said, do you know why we have no gold? Tell us, brother, tell us why there's no gold jewelry. I, because we knew that we were coming to you and we took it off. And they started, some laughed and some said, hmm, wait, so you wear jewelry. <laughs> and I said this in the kindest way I could. I said, brothers, I understand why it's not permissive permitted or permissible in your culture to wear gold jewelry because your parents lived in a time of of hunger in poverty and they they look for a piece of bread hmm. so they're not going to spend money on gold which is a luxury i understand i was born in a country where we have a lot of bread and we have material benefits and the gold ring is actually a sign of faithfulness that I have that tells people I am married, mm -hmm. I'm committed to my wife. For me, it's not a decoration. For me, it, it's an important indicator of my married state. And no one in our country is offended by wearing a gold wedding band. And concerning that verse, it says, don't let your beauty be those things. It doesn't say don't do those things. Mm -hmm. I said, did you comb your hair this morning? You did. Why are you combing your hair? That's vanity. No, you want to look uh, acceptable. You want to look uh, as you should in a nice appearance. So you do comb your hair. And I said, gold is not wrong because heaven is, the streets are gold. And there's 12 beautiful foundations. God created beauty, but there's holiness and purity, and there's no pride in that beauty. When we take 
pride in our beauty, whether it's Lucifer's pride in himself and his beauty, mm -hmm. it led to his downfall. I said, pride in beauty, identity in a beauty, that's wrong in God's eyes. But if we have beauty with holiness and humility, God is not against gold or decorating. Paul is just warning the Corinthian church of that which we all are prone to. So come on guys, if I were to ask you this question, what kind of cars are in the parking lot of every Slavic church? Chevys? Mm -mm. Volkswagens? Corollas? Oh no. BMWs, Mercedes, Escalades, Lexus, Infinities. And so instead of gold and silver, we put our beauties in cars. And how about ladies' handbags? Oh my goodness, I've seen conservative churches with head coverings and no makeup and no lipstick, brothers on one side, ladies another. And the ladies have $4,000 LV bags, <laughs> which are really vinyl. Mm -hmm. Yeah, essentially. And that's their pride. And that's their like world. And they always take pictures and their bag has to be on their side. I'm like, okay, so you strain the gnat, you swallow the camel. So, the original question was about what again? <laughs> it was about clothing, right? It was about uh, clothing and yeah. having that. Uh... I think that, I think that, notice about ties. Mm -hmm. Ties were a big deal. I love wearing ties. Some people say, no, 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 now we could preach without ties. Mm -hmm. Now in the Soviet Union, very humble Pentecostal preachers wouldn't wear ties because they didn't want to look like the communists. So the communists all clapped at their mm -hmm. meetings and wore beautiful ties. Mm -hmm. So he said, we're not gonna do any clapping and no ties. Wow. So it was a, a, a counter reaction to something they're rejecting. Mm -hmm. The pain and the hurt of their suffering by this group of people, the Communist Party, we're not gonna be like that. Mm -hmm. People do things they don't even realize where it comes from. Mm -hmm. You know. So I think that when you have the mind of Christ, when the Spirit of God dwells within you, the smaller issues kind of fall by the wayside because when I went to the Soviet Union, I saw all these girls in kerchiefs and no makeup, and they were separated one side or the other. I loved them for who they were, mm -hmm. not for how they looked. And they came to America, now they sit in mixed audiences, now they wear makeup, <laughs> now they don't wear scarves. But you know what? Is that the main thing in yeah. our hearts? I don't think so. Mm -hmm. I love how you brought up the example of uh, coming to Ukraine uh, to that specific place and taking off the ring. Um, to honor them. Yeah. To honor them. That's that's my heart. But I'll tell you another story. <laughs> so I was taken on a YouTube video. Mm -hmm. I won't say the city. I won't say the people. Mm -hmm. And I had another ring, and it was a trizub a trident, Ukrainian mm. flag on my ring. Mm -hmm. It was given to me in 1976 by a jeweler who, I love Ukraine, and that was a forbidden symbol until 1991, mm. when it became the flag of Ukraine. So I wore that to remember Ukraine. So I had it on, because I wear it when I go to Ukraine. At the border, people say, oh, we Ukrainians, you're Ukrainian. So at the border, they treat me differently, and I'm an American, and I have a trident on my finger. They're like, wow. I mean, I've had that reaction. Mm -hmm. 
So the young boy, we're talking 25, said, George, can you take off the other ring? The golden band is kind of like acceptable now, but the other ring is not. Mm. I said to him, I will take the ring off because we're on YouTube and you're going to show it to your conservative church. But tell me why I have to take it off. Oh, the brethren, the brethren have decided. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, I, I honor that and I will take it off. But on what, what basis did they do that? And he couldn't give me an answer. Oh, that's their decision. I go, yeah, but our decision should be scriptural. Of course. Otherwise, we're following traditions mm -hmm. and policies of men. And sometimes we can go too far with that and find ourselves where the scripture never teaches. And we're pushing that as a scriptural principle where it's not. And then I said, uh, by the way, in the prodigal story, the prodigal said, Jesus said that the father gave what to the son? Well, he gave him a ring. He gave him a ring. <laughs> but that's a spiritual connotation. Mm -hmm. oh, oh, really? <laughs> I don't think so. I think it was a sign of authority. And I said, this ring is not decoration. It's a sign of authority. That I see it not as jewelry, but I see it as a reminder and something that I've given my life to serve. But to honor you, I'll take it off. But young man, I want to say to you, go back to the scriptures. Read the prodigal son. Read the scripture about let gold be your beauty. And read Ezekiel 16. Mm -hmm. I won't go to Ezekiel mm -hmm. 16. But if you look it up at home, God says that he gave to his bride all this beautiful jewelry. I think jewelry is beautiful if it's in the right context. I agree. By the way, I worked as a diamond setter for a year of my life. Oh, really? I was 21, yeah. <laughs> and I worked in a store that if I say the name, everybody knows it. Does every kiss begin with K? <laughs> Jared's. It begins with a T. Right next to Trump Tower. Tiffany's? Yeah. I was a diamond setter in their main store. Wow. I worked on the seventh floor. Went to New York every morning. Yeah, but that's another story. Yes. Shh! Don't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> you heard it here. No. Yeah, going uh, into that, where you show honor to your brothers when you uh, come there, uh, and they have a decision that may not be on the basis of scripture, yet you still have honor towards their decision. Uh, I think that's a beautiful thing and uh, something that a lot of our youth can learn from uh, nowadays. Uh, what I've seen oftentimes is people stuck in their freedom. Uh, you could say they come in ripped jeans or they have a baseball cap or whatever else. And this doesn't and that's just easily apply. Fixed. That's easily fixed. Doesn't necessarily apply to just clothing like among it's a principle yeah a principle among various things when you come to a different place a different church for example you're a visitor and you cannot accept their rules or uh, if they respectfully ask you to do something and you cannot do so because I'm free hmm. then you are a slave to your freedom and your own selfishness yeah because I think it's honoring one another in, in love, prefer one another, mm -hmm. says the scripture. You are called to freedom, only don't use your freedom as an occasion for the flesh. 
So that's mm. that is our our temptation that we could use as an occasion to to be selfish. Where Jesus was never selfish, 100%. but he did speak to the issue so that we would not make the traditions of men doctrine. Mm -hmm. We have to see them as traditions. And to be fair, in my family as a dad, I had policies that were not scriptural rules, mm -hmm. but it was a family policy. For example, I had two sons and they were, they played sports, they were in high school. These guys were very, very successful in what they did. And so my oldest son, he, he played professional baseball for the Padres for two years. Yeah, he was player of the year in his university. My second son won the state championship in baseball as a 13 year old and they played golf for his university. But the one thing I asked them as they were going to university, I said, there's two things I want to ask you boys. And this, not because it's a sin, I don't believe, but because I hate it. And the two things were, boys, don't get tattoos. Mm. Don't get them anywhere in your body, even in the hidden places. Mm. I just hate them, they're permanent. You're gonna be sorry 50 years down the line that you had a tattoo. And secondly, don't pierce your ears, guys. <laughs> and so both of my sons said, Dad, no worries. We hate tattoos. And we're not, we're definitely not gonna pierce our ears, definitely. Hmm. So I said, okay, but remember that's a policy guys. It's not a commandment. I just would prefer that you wouldn't do that if you sure. live in my home. And they honored that and they honored it today. My son's gonna be great fathers because I think we didn't have a lot of rules, but we had some good principles and we always wanted to explain why we do or do not do Sure. That's important for a kid to know. For sure. My, my mom would say, because I said so. And that never flew with me. I didn't <laughs> like that. But my dad was wiser. He would take me and he would explain. Uh, I, I saw my dad's perspective. Mm. He made me see through his eyes. And I think that as parents, one day, if you're gonna be fathers, right? Mm -hmm. Try to get your little boy or your little girl to understand why you can't do A or B or C or D. And then you co-opt them, actually. Hmm. My son said to me, now he's a father of two kids. He said, Dad, you always made us see things through your eyes. And we saw why. And I'm going to do the same thing. <laughs> Instead of telling them, because I said because so. Because I said so. <laughs> uh -huh. That's why every parent wants to say that. Yeah. Well, um, I wish we had a little bit more time to keep on uh keep on going in this discussion, but we're going to have to wrap up. So uh, one final question for you. Uh, what practical advice can you offer um, on bringing unity in the church? Unity comes not when you convince somebody to do what you want. I think it's like singing in a group of people or a choir. If you sing a song, what key are you singing in? So back in the day in the Soviet Union, I never saw this anywhere else, they sing a cappella without music. And so the regent or the choir director takes out this tuning fork. Mm -hmm. He would bang the pulpit mm -hmm. and it would give off a, a wavelength. It was la or a, or if for you science nerds, 440 <laughs> cycles analog. <laughs> but you know, it's a scientific thing. 
A or La is the same note all over the world. Hmm. It doesn't change from Ukraine or Belarus or Kazakhstan or America or Armenia. It's 440 cycles. It's hmm. La, it's A. And so when the choir director hits that note, that's the note where everybody has to take their part. Uh, and the choir has four parts. Yeah. Sopranos, altos. Sopranos have the melody, altos have the harmony. Tenors fill in the harmony with a third voice, which alone doesn't sound nice, mm -hmm. but it blends. And basses do the foundational notes of the chords. Up, down, left, right. Mm -hmm. One, four, five, right? Or C, F, G. And so when they tune themselves to the tuning fork, then everybody can sing their part, which are different notes, and they harmonize. To answer your question directly, I want to ask you, listener, is your heart tuned to the principles of Scripture, to the Holy Spirit? You see, you can force people to do what you want externally, but it doesn't work very well because you have to use force. You go from the outside in. But when revival comes and hearts are touched and lives are touched, something happens inside of you and it emanates from within out. Jesus said, if you thirst, take a drink. If you believe, rivers of living water will flow. That's the release of the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. But that's not just 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 tongues. That's 1 Corinthians 13 too, which is what? If I speak in tongues of angels and men, but I have not love. If I know all mysteries, if I'm so spiritual, I give my body to be burned, but for the wrong reasons and have not love. I'm just a sound. I'm just symbols crashing, just a lot of noise. Because you're looking at the external, you're looking at the peripherals, you're looking at the things that are outside. But how about if we look within that the Holy Spirit of God would touch our selfish hearts, our prideful and sinful hearts, and we start to harmonize with the Lord Jesus. And the Holy Spirit starts to change us from within. And it's not, I did it my way. We start to learn how to do it God's way. And I believe that older people, too, can soften. I believe if they really ask God and they love their children and they love their grandchildren, they're going to pray and say, God, give me understanding. Why do they do this? Or why do they do that? Why do they not have my values? And I think we go back to the tuning fork which is the word of God, not the traditions of men, the Holy Spirit of God, which is the rhema, the word for today, for now. I don't know how much time we have, but I have a whole message on the sons of Issachar that they were wiser than the other 11 tribes because they understood the times, plural, in which they lived, and they knew what Israel must do. We live, everybody said, the last days. But actually, your generation is seeing things that my generation never saw. The explosion of porn, explosion of immorality, 
the explosion of socialism in America, mm -hmm. the explosion of violent suppression of open discussion. You can't even discuss. Hmm. You have to be woke. Yeah. Did you know the word woke comes from the word awaken? And it's not a political platform. It is a spiritual platform. It is a religion. Social justice does not tolerate any other version of justice. It must be their narrative. Mm -hmm. It must be their prophets. It must be that there's systemic racism. We don't have systemic racism. We have systemic sin. And that's white, black, red, and yellow. And Christ came to die for all of us. The oppressed should not do the same things that were done to them. Because that's what we do. Instead of forgiveness, we take revenge. And we want to flip the conversation and we want to hurt others because they hurt us Jesus said now mm. forgive love and turn the other cheek that's true social justice because it's spiritual justice I will end with a little obscure verse from Micah mm. prophet Micah he has shown the old man what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, justice, and to love what mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I think that that would plug a lot of holes in our disunity. Mm. And then you could talk about Malachi, last chapter, last two verses, the hearts of the fathers. Four, six, yeah. I don't know if this is the place, but I wrote a book on uh, fathers, forefathers for Slavic men, especially, in particular. Mm -hmm. I raised three children, and now I'm a grandfather. And during COVID, I, God wanted me to write, and I put it off for two, three, four, five years. Finally, I finished this book. It's in English. It'll come out as a digital format. It'll come out as audio, and it'll come out as a published. And you could go to my website, georgedavidduke.com, and you could uh, order the book and we will send it to your house. It's only $15. And uh, you could tell us what format you would want it in. George, David Duke, David, IUK. Not YUK, but IUK. <laughs> but if you do YUK, it still goes to this website. You could download the book. Yeah, we'll have a link ready for the in the description. Yes. Link is going to be in the description and the show notes. Um, so thank you, George, for coming onto the podcast and having this discussion with us, yeah. uh, sharing your decades of wisdom and experience with us. Um, we greatly appreciate your time. It was a joy to be here. And going beyond the podcast, you know, going with our church as well. It's a huge blessing. Amen. Thank you. I get more blessing than you receive. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Good questions. Thank you. Well, with that, I'm Vili Klesmachenko. And I'm Mark Slahovsky. With our special guest, George Duke, signing off. I like the, uh, the Frank Sinatra... <laughs> reference. <laughs> Not my way, but God's way.